0: Welcome to the Unregulated podcast by City AM. I'm Kathleen Morrison. This week, Lawrence Kenwright, owner of Signature Living, the company he created out of the wreckage of the financial crisis.
1: Well, I think um, there's definitely a crisis coming. It's every 10 years.
0: Welcome to Unregulated, City AM's professional development podcast. We're bringing this podcast to you from the pod studio at White City Place, courtesy of Huckletree, the digital lifestyle co-working space. We're speaking to a man who made millions, then lost it all, and then did it all over again. Lawrence, welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your business, Signature Living?
1: Okay, so Signature Living was started on August 14, 2008. We started off with one apartment that we got back from the liquidator after I'd just gone into liquidation. Nice of them. Uh, yeah, lovely. And um, I came up with not so much a light bulb moment, but a, but a view of... Um, there's a gap in the market. It's about group accommodation. Hotels don't need to provide for that. Uh, and then I started building up on that platform. And then I realised that there's another gap in the market, which is hotels that tell a story and separate themselves off from the madden crowd and the vanilla hotels that I believe are out there. And now we've grown to 2,000 beds a night in Liverpool. Uh, we have the most occupied hotels in the city. We have we are number one on TripAdvisor. Um, we're 85% women, believe it or not, uh, because they are. Uh, totally linked into social platforms. We have almost a million followers now on Facebook. Uh, We hope to to get that to 10 million. And we've now got expansions in Cardiff, um, Belfast, Preston, Manchester and two more hotels in Liverpool. We have £250 million worth of GDV on our books now. Uh, And we've just or just are about to acquire our first development, which will house 3,000 people. So it's a major development It's £120 million pounds on its own. Um, and we do this because we're not just a builder, stroke developer, stroke operator. We're actually someone who can tell a story. And if you want to sell something and you want to push it forward, it's how you tell and how you portray that story that really counts. And I don't think there's another developer, stroke builder, stroke hotelier that does that anyway. And I think we're the first. And we're the first because we're up against the likes of the Hilton's and Novatel's and Ibis's, these major brands that are around the world. In Liverpool, they run at 77% occupancy. We run at 95 to 98 And it's because we tell a story. So there's a big difference between us and, and the rest. Um, and I'm sure people will follow what we're doing. But, you know, hopefully we'll be the, the Hoover to Hoover and we'll be slightly different than everyone else.
0: So you... I have quite an interesting past in business. Can you just give us a bit of background? What was your first uh, venture?
1: So I started out at the tender age of 23 uh, with a retail store and um, didn't have a background in, in business and probably learnt more by failures than than my successes. So uh, rolling on quite a few years, 36 years of age, I had uh, 32 retail stores, 450 staff, factory in Sri Lanka, factory in Liverpool. Uh, and then I realised one day that uh, my life was my own and the reason for going to business is to gain some control. And it was a tail wagging the dog. Um, and I sold out, put my money into property and lost every penny.
0: Yeah, you were hit pretty hard by the yeah. financial crisis. Um, can you just tell us a bit about that? What happened?
1: Um, well, uh, normally when I bring it up, my, my stomach starts turning a little bit. So uh, Sorry. And, and I don't think it ever leaves me, and it's, even though it's 2006 now. Uh, but basically what happened was I put my money into, into property, thought I was invincible because I, I got this money together um, and left people in charge of who didn't actually do a good job, clearly. Um, but then you know you could argue, well, it was a crash that was happening to everyone, uh, but I certainly wasn't fortified. And then I found myself homeless, luckily enough, for Crown Thornton and the liquidators. They allowed me to stay in one of the apartments for quite a while. Um, which allowed me to compound where I was and not have any overheads for a period of time, which allowed me to get back slowly.
0: So what made you decide to start over again? Um, was there ever a point where you just thought, I'm just going to apply for a job and try and make some steady money?
1: I mean, they, they are the moments that define, aren't they? They're the, they're the moments where you say, well, which path am I going to walk down? And and clearly I could go and work for someone and, and, and give them the knowledge that I'd sort of gained, but then... I'm probably unemployable, uh, and and two is well. There's another path which, you know, I am galvanised by the process of, of losing everything, and I do understand process, and I do understand, and and now can see issues coming a mile off. So, um, I think going through that process has certainly made me a better person, and certainly made me a better businessman. Um, and I'm so happy I did jump back on the horse um, because I was, as I said before, galvanised by the process, and I am far more aggressive in going down the path that is righteous rather than the one that may be fractious.
0: When did you realise that things were actually starting to turn around and you were kind of seeing some successes?
1: I think um, I realised very, very early on that um, if I was to go into the hotel business, there was this new phenomenon which was social platforms. And rather than me try and lock on social platforms onto a hotel, uh, try and define a hotel which actually... Screamed out social platforms. In other words, when you walk into a room, you walk into something you have to tell your friends about. You know, you walk in, you scream, oh my God, what is this place? I've got to show my friends what it is. And so that's where that design aspect comes from. So that WTF sort of thing is, is basically what our business built upon. But that was built upon actually before it was a real phenomenon. So we started that process in, in 2008, August 14th. And um, every single room that we created was different, and every single room had something to scream about which ultimately ended up on social platforms, which ultimately ended up selling our rooms later on.
0: Yeah, your hotels are all um, of a theme. Is it, um, Can you just tell us a bit about Is it? Is it football-themed hotels is your main no, thing? No,
1: no, no, no. It's not that at all. It's it's whatever theme we're going to go. So whether it's football or whether it's it's uh, the Titanic or, or whether it's, you know, Crumlin Road or, or whatever it may be, there are stories. So rather than, in my view, hotels have gone too vanilla now, it's almost like you... Um, Uh, You walk into a hotel and and it's almost like a conveyor belt um, and you you check in through your Q code on your phone and no one speaks to you. Ours is totally different than that. Ours is is an experience. So we have to make ours as unique an experience as possible in order for people to talk about it. So that's pretty much the simplicity of what we do, but actually uh, no one else is doing it.
0: And you do specialise in stag and hen parties, I think, because you kind of go with a lot of rooms um, a lot of beds in a room kind of why why did you go down that path
1: well we are well we don't totally do that so we're 50 50 on on that so uh, yet we do hens and stags as a lot of hotels do but we just are more specific in what we give and hotels just give you a room we give you a large room and then we also do hotels that tell a story, or, or, or we, we resurrect the story such as 30 James Street and push it out through social platforms, and people get interested and intrigued and come in that way. That certainly isn't a Hen and Stag sort of proposition. But why we've done that with the Hen and Stag side is, when we started on August 14, 2008, the average group was eight. Now it's 18. And the reason why it's 18 is because we're far more connected than ever before. And hotels just haven't seen to jump on that gig. They just don't realise that there is a difference, because... format is still the same but I think the landscape is totally different than what it was ten years ago and I think it's going to be even so much different more different in another ten years so we're adapting ourselves to that platform rather than ten years ago
0: so this uh, the change in the future the change for the platform what where do you see it going Uh,
1: I think I think all things will be socially driven Uh, I think emails are pretty much finished Uh, I think TV advertisement is finished I think um, I think news is, is okay only because it ends up in being blogs and content writing. I think radio is finished. I think the new way to promote is not frontline, not saying have this for £99, but actually peer to peer, Peter to John. Have you seen this? And that's the new format. Um, and, and I don't know whether the commercial businesses that are out there actually can, one, fold into that and two, understand it.
0: So do you use a lot of social influence or is that a big
1: part of Um, your marketing? uh, We don't use influencers as such. We do, but not a lot. We we tend to try and make our videos and our content as vital as possible. You know, have you seen this? Not have this room for 99 pounds. You know, there's a different aspect. You know, if you have this room for 99 pounds, you're invading their social space. But if you're saying, have you seen this amazing space? It's a different question. And therefore people are more aligned to share
0: and are you moving your booking onto social platforms as well, so people book the rooms through social okay. media?
1: Yeah, I think I think we are different in a way that we have already proven that 65% of our bookings comes through Facebook alone. So that's a huge stat, and normal hotels is less than 1%. Uh, we don't actually take the bookings online, and we try not to take them online, which is totally different to anyone else that's out there. We want to understand why you're coming so we can... Actually, form your weekend or your break um to exactly what you want, whereas I think it's very difficult to do that online so we we want our our team to talk to you and embrace where you want to go, what you want to do, how you want to do it, and make the most of your you know most valuable thing, which is your time, make sure that you are going to the right bars, the right restaurants at the right time, making sure that you're going to the right events at the right time uh, rather than just you know. Meandering around the city and not really knowing where to go.
0: From your point of view, of someone who's kind of gone through, been there for all the processes, what would your number one piece of advice be for someone planning a big stag? Don't do it. Do it? <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: definitely don't do it. It's competition. <laughs> um, now, if, if anyone's going to plan um, a hen or a stag uh, over the weekend, I think it would be. Experts in the field, don't try and take on that poison. chalice don't try and get involved in everyone's, you know, nuances and, and issues and what they want to do. And I think you know you are creating a huge issue for yourself if you're trying to organise it. Nineteen women together in one place would be my visualization of a nightmare. So uh, actually, to blame someone else <laughs> would be easier for them because a lot of people have. You know, real tough times when you first get there and you don't have exactly what they want. But if we'd have organised it for you first, then we we can be quite specific. And, and we are doing lots of stuff like uh, we've got our own app now going to launch soon. And we're putting out, um, you know, events, individual events through social platforms, which actually saves you phone up 19 people. And, and half the time you don't know all the people that are coming because mm. they're not your actual friend. They're, they're, they're brides or, or whichever. So then you've got that issue of having to contact everyone, whereas if we take all that away from you and and tell you where you're meeting at what time, what you need to bring, where you're going, what you're doing at what specific time, then I think that would make it a lot better a process for everyone
0: um so and everyone might be speaking to each other at the end of the weekend as well.:
1: Yeah, highly unlikely <laughs>
0: <laughs> um What's your favorite thing about what you do?
1: Uh, I think creating the rooms. Um, creating the design aspect and and knowing I can be as extreme as I can be um, and knowing that the more extreme I am, the more it will be shared, I think, is just a, a, such a different aspect from the normal hotel offering. And uh, I, I always think if you're going to do something in business, it should separate you from the Madden crowd. Otherwise, don't get involved. And, you know, hotel sector hasn't changed in 100 years, apart from how you book a hotel. But actually, hotels are the same. And who is the new Uber, you know, in the hotel sector? You guys. Well, let's hope.
0: <laughs> On the social side of it, so obviously you are seeing kind of good things coming from But there is that risk that it can go very badly as well, like you know, one bad review goes viral and that can be yeah. terrible for a business. So how do you guard against that?
1: My, my mood swings depend on TripAdvisor. You know, it's uh, it's one of the most toughest um, platforms that you can endure. But actually, what a great way to find out about the bad things. Because anyone knows what the good things are in the business and, and we all rejoice in the good things and we all talk about the good things. And we all tend to shy away from the bad things, but actually, it's the bad things collectively pulled out uh, and stopped which actually make you great. So, you know, it, it's actually a great tool as well if you think of it in that way. And, and I do. So that's how we are number one in Liverpool um, on TripAdvisor. We have the most occupied hotel in Liverpool and James Street, and we have the highest turnover hotel in the Shankly Hotel uh, in Liverpool. Um, so. All this is fuelled mostly by TripAdvisor.
0: So if you kind of get on top of the bad reviews? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, So is Liverpool your number one destination tip then, or is there another Uh, city you you advise people to go for?
1: Well, Obviously, as you can tell, I'm a Scouser and I absolutely adore my city and and where we've come from in the last 20 years is uh, remarkable. And if you'd have said to me 20 years ago Liverpool was going to be a major tourist destination, I'd have laughed. Uh, but yet we we are the largest accommodation provider in the city with 2,000 people a night in Liverpool. Um, so I'm I'm respectful of the city. I love the city. I think the city is amazing and it's going on to even greater things. But we have got other hotels open in other cities like Belfast, like Cardiff, like Preston, like Manchester. Um, so it, we are growing.
0: You got badly burned by the property industry, but you did choose to go back into it, albeit a bit differently. But hotels are still part of the property business. Why did you do that?
1: I think when when you you go bust and you lose it all, um, there's a little bit of, you know, I don't want to be that guy. I didn't want my kids to ever think I was that guy. You know, they they, they had a pretty good upbringing, they lived in an 18 room home and a couple of acres of land, and all of a sudden, it's gone, it's ripped away from you. And I wouldn't. I never wanted my kids to turn around and say, "Oh yeah, my dad." Oh yeah, well he did do it, but he lost it all. You know, wasn't wasn't really a good ending for me dad. I didn't want to be known as that guy. So uh, that was one of the main reasons why I jumped in. And a, there is a story to that, but I, I won't go into it now. I'll probably end up crying on, on, on over the. That would be first. Mic, which is, I, I don't want to be doing that, you know. Um, so uh, I, I basically had had a had a call from my daughter one day. It was it was going to be thrown out of school. Uh, it was the biggest wake up call I've ever had in my life, you know, and it's still right there, right behind my mind's eye saying, you know, don't fail, don't fail. Um, and, and that was the catalyst for me jumping out of my three-month depression, uh, having lost everything um, and running into work, if you like, the eye of the storm, um, but armed and galvanized by this horrendous process. Um, which you know, I'm glad to say, I've come out of it now, but not unscathed. It's still there with me.
0: And how did you find funding to get back on your feet?
1: Well, there's a, a there's a, a bit of a story to that, so I'll, I'll, I'll run into that. So um, I obviously wouldn't be touched with a barge ball by the <laughs> banks, um, <laughs> and uh, I met up with four Singaporeans who uh, were looking at someone else's property, and the guy who owned the property phoned me up one day and said. I haven't got time to meet these guys. Can you just take them round one day? And I said, yeah, of course we'll. So I took them round Liverpool, took them to restaurants, whatever. A year later, they phoned me up and said, you know, uh, we really enjoyed your company. Can we come see you again? I said, actually, I've, I've, I'm ba- about to buy a property. Um, so please come over and see me. Anyway, they come seeing the property. They invited me over to Singapore. I jumped on a plane. I get off, you know, flew through the night, slept through the night, got off the plane, went straight into a hall. And the guy said, there's 700 people here to see you. I'm expecting four or five. Uh, so I had to get up and do a pitch in front of 700 Singaporeans. He came back on after an hour and said, you are what he's got to say. He's now going to get it up close and personal. He's got to jump in the middle of you. You can touch and feel and do what you like, but get the questions that you need to ask in order to make this investment in this amazing building, which is 30 James Street. And I'm like, wow, this is strange, you know. Um, sure enough, at the end of that hour session, he come back on and said, who wants to buy? 400 hands went up. I'm at, I've got 65 units, it's £5 million. Pounds. I couldn't get five pence, never mind, £5 million. Pounds. <laughs> and um, he said, OK, there's too many, so there's 65 units, so if you want to be the lucky person to win the right to purchase one of these units, please write your name on a piece of paper, put it in a hat, and queue up, and pick a name out of a hat. And sure enough, they picked their names out of the hat, and they queued up, like lovely people, and queued up, put the names down. Three months later, just under 6000000 million, million-something, came on. Um, we developed Dirty James Street, um, it's run at 99.4%, it does 100k a weekend in food and beverage, it's it's an amazing hotel, it's fantastic, um, and and if ever you wanted to see a building that didn't make economic sense, that lay there deadly for 30 years, and some raven lunatic comes along and says I'm going to turn that into a hotel, because no one else could, then that's the example.
0: It's basically, it was a raffle.
1: Funding raffle. Absolutely, I was the first guy to do the lottery in two. <laughs>
0: Given your background of building yourself up, losing it all, mm. building yourself back up again, what would your advice be to someone? There's, you know, there's um kind of dark mutterings out there at the moment of another financial crisis looming. Say the worst happens. What's your advice for someone who kind of loses it all and doesn't know how to pick themselves up again?
1: Well, I, I think um, there's definitely a crisis coming. Why do you say that? Well, because it, it's every ten years, isn't it? it just you just got to find out where where the deepest part of the pond was in between 2006 and and 2010, probably. So that probably comes in around 2008. So 2018 probably where it's going to land. Um, we've always uh, because I am grounded and because I did go bust and. And when I created a business, I created a business that that I believe can't go bust because we don't have one charge over all the assets. There isn't one bank in charge of us, Um, and I'll never, ever have that again. In fact, you know, I'd rather not be in business than than have one bank with one person in charge of whether, you know, the the, the loan gets pulled in or not. So I I would say if you are to go bust uh, and so long as you have gained the knowledge, then jump back on the horse go again uh, you know at the end of the day you've not got an awful lot to lose uh, but you have got that knowledge and and hopefully like I was I was fueled by the embarrassment of losing it all and and I'm still fueled by that embarrassment and I'm I still want to work every day and I still growl at the mirror and I still I still psych myself up because I know every day is an important day and and I don't think I would have known that if it didn't go bust
0: are there any advisors um, any kind of was it your accountant's banks? Don't don't know if you're too big on banks. Uh, <laughs> that really helped you out um, in coming back to where you are?
1: They, they were, I've got two very, very close friends who, who absolutely stuck by my side right the way through and, um, and, and gave me a bit of financial support. Because wh- when you get caught, most of the time you don't realise it's coming. And uh, these two friends are still my best friends now. I've known one for 37 years and I've known one my entire life. Uh, And I think those friendships, um, one, you you realise how important they are at at a time of crisis. But actually, um, without that support, uh, I don't know whether I made it back. And I think it's the strength of numbers sometimes that you need in order to, to push back on, you know, and that supportive word at the right time when you're making these massive decisions to jump back into arena that just made your life an absolute nightmare. Uh, actually, it's sometimes maybe foolhardy, maybe, or, or maybe it's just, you know, absolute confidence. It's that long ago now. I can't remember which one it was, but, you know, I know I'm here. And, and I do believe it's down to friendships and strength in numbers.
0: Friendly business people. It's not something we hear about a lot. Um, yeah. Just to touch on, actually, the financial crisis. So you're saying um, you see one coming along. When did you see the signs that... When did you first start to think, oh shit, this is happening,
1: like... Last time? Yeah. Um, Because I hadn't had that type of despair in my life, I didn't know it was coming. Everyone knew it was coming. Everyone was talking about it coming. Um, No one realised how severe it was going to be. Um, I don't really think I paid as much heed. I don't think I thought it was going to change the course of my life. And that's why I'm better now, because... I can see it a mile off, you know, and and, and my radar starts shaping you know, away at, at anything that's going on now, at, at anything that's that's slightly untoward, certainly with business. And, you know, you, you can feel it coming now. Um, property uh, prices are, are realigning themselves as we speak. The FTSE is at an all-time high. The Dow is at an all-time high. Everyone wants to be a developer again. Oh, isn't that what happened last time? So, you know, all the signs are there for it to happen. You've just got to fortify yourself in a place where... You can make the most of the situation when it happens. It can be a good thing sometimes it doesn't it's not always negative that realignment of a market is a good thing sometimes if you're sitting there and you're waiting and um we've acquired a lot of sites very very recently uh and we have our investors on board, so that's quite tight that's good um but then we're stopping and we'll see what happens
0: so you know when you're ahead basically
1: um. I think sometimes you just got to be a little bit cautious, and sometimes without that that bittersweet sort of time that you've experienced in business, um, you wouldn't really take heed. You'd just run on, because you know, you, as a young guy, I earn lots of money, and and, and you do start believing in your own your own dream and thinking that you're invincible. And the only time you realise you're not invincible is when you fall. And I think that is invaluable.
0: Just picturing a lot of listeners squirming at this point, <laughs> thinking that's me. Uh. <laughs> Um, well, thanks, thanks for the dire Thank warnings you. and the great advice about stag parties.
1: It's not all dire, you know. It, 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 you know, I'm, I'm really confident about the future of of, uh, of of all markets, but I just think you're just got to have a little bit of an air of caution.
0: Well, that's it for this week. Follow us on Twitter on @unregulatedpod for updates. With thanks to Lawrence, Emma, who was producing this week, and Huckletree and White City Place. This has been the Unregulated Podcast.